Welcome to the Own Your Choices, Own Your Life podcast. I am your host, Marsha Van Weinsberg. I'm a business coach, speaker, and author of the best-selling book, When She Stopped Asking Why. On this podcast, we will use the tips, tools, and strategies used by myself and our speakers to break through and overcome the challenges in our lives. When we take radical responsibility of our choices, create boundaries, grow our courage and practice self-care and letting go of what isn't ours to control, we can completely change our stories. When we take full ownership of our stories, we take back our personal power and this allows us to impact, serve and support others by showing them that they are not alone and helping them find freedom from their stories. When you own your choices, you truly own your life. Let's dive in. Welcome back to the show. Today, I am here speaking with author, speaker, and neonatologist, Dr. Susan Landers. Susan Landers is a retired neonatologist with 34 years experience practicing in the NICU full-time. She has raised three children into young adulthood. She served as a national speaker for the American Academy of Pediatrics. And after retirement, she published a book, about her medical career and her motherhood experiences. This is such a great conversation and it's so timely because we discuss about the demands on working mothers combined with the pandemic and juggling all of the demands that were only amplified these last couple of years. We talk about burnout, how to recognize it and how important it is to ask for and allow yourself to receive support. We talked about managing expectations and bringing those expectations down so that we can be in the space of actually achieving and being good enough. We are all good enough. And we want to be in that space of embracing those words because when we're always striving for more or that perfection or those really high expectations, we are not leaving ourselves in a space to embrace all that is possible and recognize how good of a job we are doing. So we really talked about normalizing our stories and normalizing the struggles and the challenges and what our role is as a parent and how we have to take care of ourselves first, which I know is really hard to put into practice sometimes, especially when our demands are high. We talked about the concept of fulfillment, seeking joy in our day-to-day activities and how to drop or manage those expectations that we keep putting on ourselves and recognizing how we can be a source of support for others as well as ourselves. Susan's book is called So Many Babies, My Life Balancing a Busy Medical Career and Motherhood. I'm sure it is absolutely fantastic. The link is in the show notes, and I know you're going to love this conversation. Welcome to the show today, Susan. It's so nice to meet you. Thank you, Marsha. I appreciate the invitation. I'm looking forward to talking with you. You have a a lot of different parts to your story. And I know (laughs) adding right before we started recording and there's a lot of value that I think is incredibly timely for where we are at right now. Um, Let's just start with first, a couple of things. Where are you from? I'm from Austin, Texas. Nice. I uh, have lived here for the last 25 years. Mm-hmm. I did some medical training in Dallas and I did some medical training in Houston uh, at where I met my husband, mm-hmm. got married and had three children. Uh, I have worked as a full-time physician my entire career until I retired about five years ago. 
And I raised three children, all are now young adults. Mm-hmm. And each one of them threw at me something different, <laughs> something amazing and complicated and challenging. And I like to talk about those stories as much as I like to talk about patients and, and parents, because I think a lot of mothers today, especially working mothers, are really struggling to balance everything and to make sense of all the different things they're doing. And since I'm kind of a working mother has been, now I'm a working grandmother, mm-hmm. I uh, I want to help working mothers feel better about what they're going through. Wow. I love that. And I, you know what, it's for the number of working mothers that like majority people I know who do work. Um, it's not something that's spoken about specifically. So you said a couple of things there that I love. And I wish, I wish somebody would have told me this because I remember after having my first, um, my oldest son and he was extremely colicky. He was hospitalized a couple of times. They thought he had, mm. um, uh, they thought he had a few issues And they're like, no, he's just like, he's hitting all of the signs for colic. He was about eight months. So we were no stranger to constant advice to like, you know, and then you finally start to figure out, okay, what's going to happen. How do we do this? Then the second comes along. It's like, wait, we have to start over again. Cause nothing works. (laughs) Right. And it's never the same problem. No, it's not the same person. When you figure out how to take care of one and the second one is totally different and has different demands. Yeah. So that in itself is an interesting experience for parents. And then combining that with, you know, working, whatever your demands are in your job, it's, it feels a lot of moms. What do you think a lot of moms are going through right now and what they are like feeling or struggling with? Well, from my reading, they're going through burnout, mm-hmm. uh, whether that's the full case of exhaustion, physically, emotionally overwhelmed, dreading going to work, feeling detached from your children, not feeling fulfilled in your job, having a hard time dealing with your spouse or your partner. Whatever that whole thing is, a lot of people call it working mother burnout. Um, I think working mothers have really taken it on the chin the last few years. They were already maxed out with jobs, with kids, with economics, with partners and friendships. And then the pandemic came along and made everything worse. It made childcare worse. It made remote learning a nightmare. It made remote work challenging and in some ways actually helpful for some women. But now we are kind of winding out of the pandemic and we're still figuring out how do we work? How do we take care of our kids? Do we need to work as much as we are? Um, What are our priorities? And the workplace has not caught up with the employees. I hear working mothers say, I want to make more money. Sure. We want to make the same money men do for the same job. Mm 
Yeah. But more than that, we want to feel fulfilled in what we do. If we're leaving our kids with somebody else and we go to do a job, we want to make sure that job matters. Mm -hmm. And we want our employers and our managers to know what matters to us and to know when we are having trouble juggling motherhood stuff. Mm-hmm. Because we're not just workers, we're working mothers. Mm-hmm. And I think the pandemic has really shined a light on how our society in the U.S. and in Canada ask mothers to do more than they are capable of doing. If I had been a young mother in the pandemic with three little kids and even lucky enough to have a nanny, I still would have been maxed out. I feel like moms have really gotten a raw deal. Yeah, I, I thank you for everything that you've just said. And I wish I could, I don't know off the top of my head, but I did hear, I think it was Sheryl Sandberg. I heard her on an interview last year and she talked about how the pandemic had increased the workload for the average mom by 80%. And it was something astronomical and like 80% increase in workload and expectations. Yes, And she said, it's the moms who are carrying that load. I'm not saying men are, I'm not saying men are, well, men are helping a little, a little, the motherly uh, magazine does a survey. They've had a couple come out recently and the moms are saying for every five hours of household chores, including kids, they do, their husband does one hour. And so what we saw during the pandemic is the women picked up the mop, the broom, the laundry, the iron, the homework, and the remote learning. And the husbands and partners weren't that much help. That's what mothers are telling us. Mm -hmm. And so here they were doing their regular job remotely, or if they were, uh, you know, nurses and teachers having to go in and doctors having to go in and see their uh, patients and client and children, they still did all the housework Mm -hmm. for the most part. Mm -hmm. And that got really heavy. That got, you're worried about a virus and you're worried about getting things done. And are your children really learning remotely before we got back to school? Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't have known how to help my kid with remote learning. I'm like a dinosaur with computer stuff. And so I think what moms have been through has been extraordinary. I think they have been pushed to the limit. And the surveys that I have read say that mm-hmm. they feel pushed to the limit. Mm-hmm. They do. And they feel like they are really strung out. Yeah, I can I can relate and understand in a sense because I mean, I don't know how many times like this this time in history, and I'll call it like that, has been precedent, right? It's just something that we're always going to look back at as do you remember yes. when? It it has mm-hmm. been. And we went through some incredibly chaotic and traumatic times when our kids were younger. And as much as this last two years has been frustrating, like I say, frustrating for, for us, I can't tell you how many times my husband and I both have said, our kids aren't young. We're not navigating like the job and zoom and classes and kids at home. 
We're not navigating chaos and like, you know, lockdowns and them not being able to go anywhere. And that's been our constant reminder to be completely honest. I'm not, I'm just, it's been a bit of a saving grace because, but then that also reminds me that there are families who are struggling now, like I was years ago. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what are they doing? Because I could barely find resources like six, seven years ago, barely. Right. Right. Barely. I, I've been watching my oldest daughter who is a pediatric ICU nurse go into work, take care of children with COVID and children with other conditions, put her two kids in daycare. Well, the second one I kept for a few months Mm -hmm. until he got old enough to go to daycare. She was lucky that her childcare center was open to first responders. They only kept the children of nurses and doctors and firemen and policemen. Oh, wow. So they were lucky that they were able to have a place for their kids to go. Mm-hmm. Her husband, who works for Whole Foods, stayed at home to work. And on the days when the kids were sick and I would go over and help and he would try to work from his bedroom where he set up a desk, I would come in and my granddaughter would be watching a movie and I might raise my eyebrows and he would say, look, you've never had to watch kids in a pandemic. This is awful. I bet it (laughs) is. I I bet. I thought you're right. It's awful. He's trying to get work done and his four-year-olds plopped in front of the television for maybe just an hour or two, but that was necessary until grandma comes over and helps out. Mm-hmm. It has been, and I saw her go back and forth between work and children and family and her sister. And it was just worse than anything I ever went through when I was working full time, 60 or 70 hours a week, because of the stresses of who's going to catch it. Mm-hmm. How do we be careful? When are the vaccines available? Who do you believe about the safety of vaccines? And all of that extra weighty stuff yep. that women have been measuring, really, and thinking about. It's not just their jobs. It's not just their children's well-being. It is how you manage every bit of that together. And I think that that really opens up the conversation that any female who has, you know, raised kids and tried to juggle a job at the same time, we can, it's like this unwritten, unspoken language. We all understand that mm-hmm. it's, and I wish I, I laugh. I mean, my kids are older. I wish the conversation had become more normalized earlier. I really do because I remember when my kids were first born and a lot of our friends were having kids and all they were doing was raving about how incredible the time was. And I remember sitting there going, there must be something wrong with me. Cause this is not, incredible. <laughs> like this is not incredible. Maybe I'm not meant for this. Like what is wrong with me? But I had a very colicky baby who didn't mm-hmm. like it went on and on for eight months. And it was just, like, I remember the first day my mom walked in and she said, why is he doing that? And I said, I, I don't know. I, it's my first, like, this is what I know. But the nurse walked in when he was born, maybe a couple hours after he was born. And she said, do you have help at home? I said, yeah, I have my husband. She's like, yeah, no, I mean, more than that. Do you have more than that? And I said, <laughs> why, what's the matter? And she's like, 
honey, I've just been doing this job for a long time. She said, just like that. She goes, I just know, I just know. Right. And that was the case. So I spent a lot of time when they were younger feeling like there was something wrong with me because I was not enjoying it. And because I was burnt out and all of the things. So I like that we're normalizing more of these conversations now. I wish that had been the case, but it wasn't. You mentioned you were working 60, 70 hour work weeks. Tell us a little bit about your job, because I do want to get into what was that like trying to juggle that and three kids? I became a doctor, a neonatologist long before I became a mother. Mm -hmm. And so I had my identity pretty wrapped up in, I was in the NICU and I took care of critically ill infants and preemies. And I love talking to the parents and I love doing procedures and I love the moms and I love promoting breastfeeding and all of that wonderful stuff, going to high risk deliveries. And then when I had my children, it was like, wow this is really hard because I love this little wonderful thing at home that I'm trusting someone else to look after. And the night my husband called me, it was later in my career, but he called me, he said, I am really sorry to tell you, I cannot read the tiny writing on the Tylenol bottle and David has a fever. And can you tell me the dose of Tylenol? And I thought, oh, my God, this is just hilarious. But it wasn't hilarious. It was really kind of the way things were. I was really lucky to be married to a pediatrician also. So when I was gone, he he held down the fort. He did the stories. He did the baths. He did the dinner. He did everything. Now, let me tell you, when the kids were sick, if somebody had a virus, a cold, the flu, strep throat, they would wake up with a fever. I was the one to get the Tylenol, call the pediatrician, schedule the appointment, call the hospital, make arrangements for someone to cover me. He's walking out the door. Yeah. And I said, where are you going? I'll never forget the first time I discovered this. He said, I'm going to work. I said, David has a fever. I've got to take him to the pediatrician. He probably has strep throat. I need some help here. He said, you always take care of everything. You don't need me. And he turned and walked out the door. And I thought to myself, I've been doing all of this, struggling to be everything for everybody, and I can't do it. hmm So when the children are well, and my husband was taking care of them, and I was in the hospital on call at night, things were okay, except that I was gone. Mm -hmm. And there's always that stretch for me. I love being a doctor and taking care of critically ill babies. Also really love being a mom. Mm -hmm. And, And there were times when I didn't want to work 60 hours a week. I would have been happy to work 40. and. I'm not quite sure why, but for some reason, I did not go part-time until one of my girls was an adolescent and had a problem. Mm -hmm. So I worked full-time for at least 18 years. I loved my job. I love the parents. Here's another funny anecdote. The, The moms of my little patients would say things like, Oh, well, you're a pediatrician. You're, I'm sure your children are perfect and everything is wonderful and you can handle everything. And I would go, are you kidding? No, I, my daughter was 
misbehaving and she had dyslexia and then she developed ADHD and I had to get all of that diagnosed and taken care of. And I didn't know to do all that, mm-hmm. even though I was a skilled neonatologist. So just because you have a job that is expert or specialized, or you're really good at business or marketing or medicine or writing or whatever, doesn't mean you're born knowing how to be a great mother. Mm-mm. We all learn by the seat of our pants. I really believe that. <laughs> I 100% believe that. There is no, I mean, I've said it to this day, there is no manual that my kids did not come with one. And if they would have, it never, ever would have done justice for the gong show we walked through for years. Right. It wouldn't. Right. And I right. think, I think too, that I'm going to, I'm going to say this is, especially if there's moms who are listening, like as soon as you assume that someone else can do it better and that they know what they're doing, you completely discount yourself. I mean, we're all just trying yes. to figure it out. And I think that's the one piece of it. The other piece I would say is that I think it's a fairly fair statement to say that moms are incredibly resourceful. We figure things out in when we have to, it's like, how did you know how to do that? I'm like, ah, I searched this. I called this. I did this. You know what else we do? We call our friends and we run it by our friends and women are really good at having social support. Mm -hmm. I had a group of friends in Houston. We all got married together. We all got had babies at the same time. And if we had a problem at work, we'd say, how are you managing this? Or is your kid biting in preschool or how's potty training going? And we would share notes and compare stories. And it made us feel normal. Yep. It made, here we were pediatricians still asking each other questions and it made us feel normal to hear our friends say, hi, man, I've been dealing with that too. I'm so frustrated. He will not stay in his bed at night. (laughs) And so we all go through these moments of what am I doing wrong? I didn't read the book correctly. Maybe I should have listened to my (laughs) mother-in-law. You know, you just second guess yourself. Mm -hmm. And if you're a working mom, you might even throw in a little bit of guilt. A lot, potentially a lot of guilt. Yes. Yeah. If I was at home, I could really have taken care of this better. And so we have to deal with that. Mm-hmm. I really feel like working moms have been pushed to the limit at, because I've been there mm-hmm. and I know I let myself get pushed to the limit. But now society is doing that to all moms. Mm-hmm. I Even stay-at-home moms say they're being pushed hard. I'm, I'm not quite sure I understand that, but compared to working moms, but the, even they say, they are pushed harder than they can uh, compensate. So then how do we shift this? Because I think that there's also part of the story is this piece on, I mean, I've had to learn over the years of managing my own expectations, like putting pressure on myself of what I expect it looked like. So I would love, like, I even think back to, there came a point where, when the kids were younger and you had to bring something to school for a snack, I got to a point, I was like, I was working at, you know what cookies from the grocery store. They'll be fine. Like that's literally where my brain. And I remember one mom saying to me, I wish I had the guts 
to show up with that. And I'm like, if this is the worst thing I do, like it, like there's, and that's the reason I say this is there's these expectations that we put that they're almost like not even achievable. Right. Right. And then we're creating our own misery. Exactly. So the most challenging time in my whole career, I was 40 years old. I had just had my third child. Mm. She was nursing beautifully. We had moved to a new city for a new job for my husband. And it was a wonderful new position. My job was just okay. Mm -hmm. I had three little kids, new neighborhood, new schools, new job, hired a new nanny. Mm -hmm. I took the shortest little time off, two months. And when I went back to work, I hated it. I became depressed. And even though my third child was about a year old, a lot of people said, well, that's postpartum depression. I think it was a lot of bad things accumulating over having a new baby depression. Mm-hmm. And so I had to make choices about my career, whether I was staying in academic medicine or going into private practice how much time I wanted to work. I was working even more in this new job, more hours in the hospital, fewer hours at home. And I didn't like that. And so I sat down with a good psychotherapist and I sat down with my husband and we spent hours and hours talking about what we really wanted in our marriage and for our family. And and I also thought about what I wanted in my career. And I ended up pivoting to a different job as a transition tool. I ended up making huge choices about how much time in the hospital, how many papers I was going to write, how much research I was going to try to do, how many school things I would sign up to help with because I had no doing any of that, mm-hmm. how many games I could realistically attend for my kids when they did sports, I made some really difficult decisions. And I'll tell you, over a two or three year period, we decided that for our whole family to be happy, mom had to be happy. And that's an old figure of speech. If mom ain't happy, nobody's happy. But for us, it turned out to be true. Mm -hmm. And we ended up moving to Austin, where we both had great jobs. Mm -hmm. And we both developed in our careers. And we both felt fulfilled. And our kids were in public school, thank goodness, instead of private school. And it worked out for the whole family. And so that experience from going from depressed and on the bottom Mm -hmm. to figuring out what my priorities were and working with a psychotherapist, with my husband, and sorting through everything was the best thing I ever did in my whole life. Mm -hmm. The hardest and the best. Thank you for sharing that with us. And I think that there's a lot of power in in your story and what you just shared there, because it's this reckoning moment of this is not working for me. I mean, I've tried, it doesn't mean I'm failing. I'm just saying it's not working for me. And Mm -hmm. I think that when we can have those conversations, 
um, it really can open up possibilities, but I do think a lot of moms just literally shove it down and keep going. Yes. Yeah. I'm afraid they do. And I'm here to say that's not healthy. No. Um, it doesn't work. If you're unhappy in your work or you're unhappy in your relationship, you have got to deal with it because you can't take care of your kids alone very easily. And you can't be a good mother if you're not a good worker or feel good about your job. Mm -hmm. And so those difficult decisions really do have to be made. And you do have to share with someone who can help you, whether it's a coach or a social worker or a psychotherapist or a psychiatrist, or you and your partner get marriage counseling. There are ways to sort through issues that challenge you from which you want to just say, oh, I can't deal with this. You can deal with it. Mm -hmm. You can deal with it if you get the help you need and take the steps that are necessary. I learned during that difficult period of time, Marsha, to exercise regularly. When I cut back research projects, when I let a paper go, I went to the athletic club two days a week Mm -hmm. and I would meet the kids there, at least the girls there, man, it was like flipping a switch in my brain. I felt so much better. Just exercising two days a week made a huge difference. And I started um, going out on Friday nights when we were off, we've hung out with another family who had similar age kids And we all, you know, compared stories and the kids got along. And that made me feel normal because they were having the same issues we were having. Mm -hmm. How do you make it all work? How do you juggle being who you are professionally and in your work life with who you want to be as a mother, a wife, a friend, Mm -hmm. a daughter, I was a pretty lousy daughter for a while. I didn't really take my kids to see my mother and father very often, but I was a really good mother in the sense that when I was not at work, I was all about family. Mm -hmm. And to carry the stress that you had in your job and to be able to leave that and then like be present at home and then be present at work. That sounds like it might sound like something really small to someone who's listening, but it's Mm. it's super powerful because I'm sure it would have been easy to bring that stress home. There were times when I did bring the stress home and fortunate to have a husband who understood what I did. He's a pediatric nephrologist. So he was dialyzing little children and taking care of kids with chronic kidney failure. And so we were blessed with being able to tell each other stories like, oh man, we lost that kid last night and that mother was so hurt and devastated and man, we tried so hard and it's been a two week slog and just couldn't pull that baby around. And I was able to say things like that to him mm-hmm. and he was able to say, yeah, that really stinks. I'm, I know it's really hurt you and have you got the mother's number? I know you're going to call her and talk to her again. And did they talk about an autopsy? And so we were able to talk about those really difficult issues. And if you have a job where your husband doesn't understand what you do, it would be hard to unload. Mm -hmm. It would be hard not to bring the stress home. 
There were other times when I was working on research or writing papers or teaching that there wasn't any stress to bring home. It was just bad patient outcomes, Mm -hmm. a baby that didn't survive, um, a set of twins in which we lost one, a mom who did everything she could with IVF and had triplets and we lost two of them. And so there were moments, of course, there were moments where tragedy struck Mm -hmm. and I tried not to carry that home. But, you know, that's part of being a doctor. You learn to sort of deal with that. You learn to appreciate your, the intimate experience that you have with families and with patients. And that's a real gift, too, even though it might be heavy at times, even though it might be hard to to take care of yourself. I had a wonderful career. I saved thousands of babies. I talked to many, many mothers who were sitting there crying, talking them through how their baby was going to make it. And even though they would be in the hospital for three or four or five months, they were going to be okay. And I assured them that things would be okay. And I loved doing that. It was really wonderful. I just had a wonderful career. I am so thankful that I had that career. Now, if you ask my kids how my career was, they'll say, well, we know mom was a doctor and she was at the hospital a lot and she missed a lot of swim meets or she missed a lot of volleyball games or yeah, there was that orchestra trip. She didn't go on because she was too busy. Mm-hmm. And so, and so he, I, I'm here to say you can't win. You cannot win as a working mother. You have to just accept that you are doing your best at both of those things, at Mm -hmm. all of the things that you do, Mm -hmm. and that that is good enough. It's good enough. It's, and I think I I love that it is good enough. It's, I, I had a mentor say that to me is that, and I've actually been applying that to so many areas in my life and business is what you're doing has to be good enough. If it's not good enough for you, it will never be good enough for anyone else. And that I have been auto-correcting on a regular basis with that. It's been very powerful. Yeah. Our kids are going to have different ideas. My kids have different ideas about our experience and what we went through. But at the same time, I sit there and I'm like, it, like, I, I wouldn't wish that on anyone. I wouldn't wish it on anyone. And we did our best. Did I make mistakes? A hundred percent. I I guarantee I did. I guarantee I did. Did I do them all because I was trying to find solutions? Yes. Like I was actively trying to figure out what to do. And so, yeah, it was definitely, it was definitely experience. I love what you shared there. And I thank you for sharing that because I think one of the things that we as humans want most in what I have heard and read is like, we want to be heard. We want connection and we want to be heard. So there are times, right. That we can even have a conversation with our spouse or with friends. And I'm not asking for you to solve this or to fix it. I just need to sort through this. So I'm not carrying it mentally. Yes. Mm -hmm. I was so fortunate again the book series Mars and Venus came out when we had just moved to that small town for the job I didn't like. And I remember reading in that book 
that men like to solve problems. <laughs> and that's why they go in their man cave and think about things and make plans to solve problems. And women like to just be understood. Mm-hmm. And when my husband and I got that, when I was able to say to him, honey, I have this problem at work, it's a difficult patient or difficult partner, and let me run it by you. I just want you to listen. I don't want you to fix anything. It's okay. I just want you to listen. Our marriage improved 150%. I am telling you, and we've been married 38 years. We've both been through a lot. Congrats. And it is so true. You have to tell your husband or your partner, just listen, just Mm -hmm. listen. You don't have to fix it. I'm okay. Mm -hmm. I'll get through this, but I do want you to understand what I'm feeling. That is so crucial for women. It is so crucial to share how you're feeling. Yeah. I think you've really hit something on the head there and it might sound very simple if you're listening, but it don't underestimate how powerful that is. And I'm in the age bracket. I very much remember men are from Mars and women from Venus. Yeah. <laughs> very much remember it. And so, especially during this pandemic time, my husband working at the kitchen table, I'm in the office and we're in the same space with like half, more than half of the last two years in lockdown. I don't know how many times I say something to him in the beginning and he'd be like, I don't know what to say that. And I'm like, I don't need you to fix it. I just need you to listen. He's like, okay, listen. Like you just like so I'm we where can we be more clear, right? Where can we be more clear about what we are asking for instead of being annoyed that they don't understand me or they don't even ask how to support or whatever? I think we have to get to a space where we ask for what we want. Yes. Remember the story of my husband leaving the front door because the child was sick and he said I would take care of it. When I learned to say, okay, I'm going to take care of the morning. I need you to come home and take care of the afternoon so I can go in and make rounds. And this is specifically what I want you to do. He was fine. All I had to do was tell him. He couldn't read my mind. No, I just had to tell him or make a list. Here's the list. Here's what I want you to do because they don't think like we do. They, especially where children are concerned. No, they're, we're all wired differently. And I think that that really hits it. So that's another way when it comes to managing the expectations, like giving ourselves a chance to air quote, win, whatever you want to call that win, because the win can be anything, but giving ourselves a chance also means like managing the expectations and asking for the support. Like my, I love, I love my mom dearly. I raised two boys. She raised two girls. My boys were the kind that would like tear through a room in seconds and a tornado would hit it. When we were younger, as girls, we sat and played like, so that was, it. so it was very night and day different. And I remember once when she came over, love her to pieces. I'm glad I was able to look at it this way. And she was very much of the mindset. Like the house was cleaned every week. All these things were happened. You spring cleaned and fall cleaned your house. She would have a heart attack right now in my house. But anyways, <laughs> so, <laughs> but I remember when the kids were younger and she was over once and she was looking down in that disproving way where like the, the floors needed to be cleaned and things. And I looked at her and I'm like, mom, if it bothers you that much, I will get the vacuum out. Cause I don't have the bandwidth. And she was just like, 
no, that's okay. I, where can I do to help? So I think that's a piece Here's of it, the right? Over there, yeah, mom. Right over there. <laughs> knock yourself out. Seriously, knock yourself out and yeah. not making it mean anything about us. And I think that's a thing that we do a lot is that we make it mean that I'm not doing a good enough job. And I'm like, I cannot work, manage kids full time and take full care of the house. And I just can't, there's not enough time. We tend to judge ourselves. We do. This notion of Supermom has come from somewhere and it is it has poisoned us and and the notion that is appropriate now is good enough mother. I'd mm-hmm. love to talk about what it means to be a good enough mother. That was my next because question. Oh wonderful. If you are doing some work that you value mm-hmm. and that is fulfilling. Whether you are a teacher or an accountant or a nurse or a physician or a writer, and you give your children your attention when you're not working and you love them and you care for them, but you do this other thing that you love too that's called your work, Mm -hmm. you are being a good enough mother. And your children will grow up to be fine. They won't be injured any more than a stay-at-home mom's children are. They won't be harmed by your absence. They may become more independent and they may complain a little bit, but that's the way it is. Mm -hmm. And you're still a good enough mother because you have done the best you can do to manage all the things. Thank you for sharing that. And that really comes down to each of us allowing ourselves and saying, yes, that's enough. When I look back with our boys, when we went through our challenging times, I remember saying like, I can look back and say, I did the best I could with what I had. Again, did I make mistakes? Yes. But I did the best I could with what I had. There was no other resources available, but now I can be part of the resource that's available. And I can choose to do something with it. So that is the piece of it. I think that's the, I I love the good enough description because if it's not good enough for us, we always have to check in with ourselves and say, but who am I trying to measure up to? Like, who am I trying to measure up to? Yeah, this is me. This is how I'm a mother. This is how I also have a job and I'm doing the best that I can. Yeah. And that's good enough. Now I, I had a, a challenging adolescent. My older daughter uh, developed an eating disorder when she was 16. Mm-hmm. And it took me a few months to figure out what was going on. Typical straight A student, thin swimmer, AP classes, SAT prep course, highly educated parents, overachieving parents and daughter. Mm-hmm. And she said, I'm too fat. I'm going on a diet. She weighed 110 pounds. Mm -hmm. And of course she wasn't fat. She didn't need a diet. She was just trying to control something in her life because she was spinning out of control. And it took me a while to figure out that pushing food around on her plate was really not eating and rushing up the stairs to say, I have homework to do was also not eating. And then her best friend's mother told me she wasn't eating at their house either. Mm -hmm. And so 
I took her to the pediatrician. The pediatrician said, oh, she had some pain in her tummy. And the pediatrician said, oh, it's reflux. I'll give you some antacids. It's probably fine. Another month went by. I said, this is not reflux. This is not eating. And so I cut back my hours. I went to my manager and I said, uh, Anne's in trouble. I'm not sure where we're going with this because I didn't know a thing about eating disorders. I had to read about it. I had to talk to people. I had to call people up and find out what we should do. I said, I've got to cut back my hours. I have to be able to take her to appointments. I did. They let me. I was so fortunate to have a manager that said, okay, sure. Yeah, cut it back. Of course, your salary is being cut back. I said, fine, fine. I don't care. Mm-hmm. My daughter is more important. And we got her the help she needed with a therapist, with a nutritionist. She was so excited that the nutritionist took care of all the athletes at the University of Texas at Austin who had eating disorders. <laughs> she said, I'm in really good company, mom. I, I bet, said, I bet she was. Not yeah. exactly what, yeah, she was in good company. And they helped her and she got well over about a six month period. Mm-hmm. And I felt like a great mom, not that she had trouble, not that she developed an eating disorder, but I got her the help she needed. I didn't know how to help her. I knew something was wrong, but I got her the help that she needed mm-hmm. and she recovered. And we still talk about that. We still talk about her relationship with food and how she handled weight gain during her pregnancy. And we, remember what we both learned during that time. And I'm, I'm thrilled to say, I think she's fine now. And she has a five-year-old daughter. So she's going to get a little bit of the same issues thrown at her. Mm-hmm. Girls nowadays have too much mm-hmm. social media influence mm-hmm. to be thin. Magazine yeah. covers have always been there showing girls if they should be thin to be beautiful but now we have Instagram Mm -hmm. and Facebook and Snapchat or whatever and the girls are learning that they can find out how to diet from Instagram Mm -hmm. it's really a bad situation I agree and and there's definitely um without naming stars there was one who spoke last month about what she had to do to drop X amount of weight in order to wear this dress to this. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Um, but she, and she glorified it. And there were so many parents who jumped in saying, don't like, and, and it's so interesting because then I, I saw, I, I, I just, I observe, right. I just observe. I'm not in that stage. And I had, I could see there were some parents saying, well, don't let them watch that. I'm like, well, that's a stupid piece of advice because they are going to see it. They're going to see it. Like, don't. Do, so now we're going to shame the parents for trying to figure out how like that shaming somebody does not fix anything. And it's that open conversation, being able to do it. And you're right. It's, it's like, oh, I lost 12 pounds in a week. I lost, you know, 20 pounds in a week. And it's like, no, 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 no. We don't need to be doing we don't need to be doing that. That's another, that could be another whole podcast episode, seriously. But it's definitely like, we all know that that is, I mean, our kids, no matter who you are, nobody's immune. Can I just say this first? Like no one is immune at all. I'm into that. You are immune. 
No. And I think this is, that was one of the big reasons why I chose to start speaking about teen substance abuse was because I didn't look the part. I was told that many times I didn't look the part, which was all the more reason to talk about it because I wanted to normalize that. Like there's thousands of me out there who are doing this right now, trying to figure it out. Parenting is challenging enough as it is, but there's a lot of other things that will come up along the way that you're going to have to navigate. Absolutely. At my second daughter got into marijuana when she went off to college mm-hmm. and it really screwed up her senior year of college. Mm-hmm. And I was floored and I went, oh my God. So here one had had an eating disorder and one was dabbling with marijuana. I don't think other drugs. Mm-hmm. And we had to get her the help she needed. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of I kind of felt like, well, maybe I'm just a bad mother, you know? I mean, both my daughters have issues. Did I do something wrong? Did I hurt them by working, by being a physician? My husband kept saying, no, 20% have some sort of mental health issue. 20%. It's sometimes genetic. Mm-hmm. Anxiety and eating disorders do tend to run in families. Mm-hmm. Drug addiction does tend to run in families. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it skips generations. And so most likely we're not the cause of our children's problems. No. Most I, likely we're not. Yeah. yeah. And I thank you for sharing all that and being vulnerable because I know that that will support someone else who is listening. I think it, it comes back down to that. It's amazing how for women, our very first step is what did I do wrong? What have I done wrong? <laughs> like, is this my fault? Did I do this? Like I, I, I lived in that space forever. And it's so many people would say to me, like, did you have a hard time forgiving the boys for, because I, there was a lot of anger and resentment for a long time. I'm like, I do not remember signing up for this. This is not what I thought I would be doing, but mm-hmm. at the same time, I finally had to come to a space of recognizing that it was myself. I had to forgive. I spent a lot of time being hard on myself, which doesn't fix, manage, change anything. So anyone who's listening as a mom, I want you to know like that, that's a learning to let go and forgive myself allowed me to have a better relationship with my boys because Right. And that's that piece. We have to go first. We have to take care of ourselves. We have to unearth and uncover those things that are holding us back or those challenges that we are having. And so this is just permission and reminder, right? You can do that work on yourself too, because every other relationship in your life will be improved because of it. Yes. Yes. And again, I think that one good thing about the pandemic is that it showed us that. A lot of people are lonely and yeah. showed us that a lot of teens already had a fair amount of anxiety and many of them depression. Yeah. And it showed us that grownups were going home and drinking alcohol and teens may have been using more substances, marijuana yeah. and whatnot. Yeah. And that was not unusual. Mm-mm. I'm not saying it's normal, but people were trying to cope. Teens and adults and parents and workers were trying the best they could to cope. Mm -hmm. Some people used food. Some people used alcohol. And it's really normal to have issues around 
mental health. Mm -hmm. It is really normal. 20% is probably an underestimate of people that have some sort of mental health challenge. Mm -hmm. I I, I 100% think so. I really do. I think that that's actually probably a low number. It's, It's definitely something that affects so many of us. So as you went through, finished your career and retired, is that when you published your book? I uh, retired in 2016 and started writing about my most special patients, their parents, what I had learned from the experience, telling stories about them. And one of the my friends in my book club said, well, why don't you just write a memoir? Why don't you tell stories about being a mother? And I said, oh, okay. So I started writing stories about being a mother. And I wove the two together in a way that I hope shows other working mothers that it's all very complicated and interwoven and that when we work and when we mother and when we're wives and when we're friends, it affects everything that we do. And so I wanted my book to kind of tell the story that even a a physician mother can do it wrong, make it better, try her best and be good enough. Mm -hmm. And the process, Marsha, the process of writing the book cemented for me the notion that I really was a good enough mother. Thank you for sharing all of that. I love the, I could just see the visual of the interwoven and how it all goes together because I know that what you're sharing today, honestly, um, Susan, is just how, how these women, we are good enough. We are good enough. We are doing a good enough job. And I think we do have to give ourselves more grace, more compassion, recognizing everything that we're taking on and knowing that, yeah, it's definitely good enough. So what is the name of your book? My, the name of my book is so many babies, Mm. my life balancing a busy medical career and motherhood. And it's available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and all the online booksellers. I have a website, susanlandersmd.com. The book is available there, and I have a blog. I write a lot about um, children's issues, children's health, adolescent health, maternal health issues. Wow. Um, so your listeners, if they care, can learn more about me and my book there. I'm also on social media. More to see what working moms are up to <laughs> than to provide any kind of services. People like you and others who are talking to modern parents are doing a huge service. Mm -hmm. I love what podcasting is doing for people. It's really wonderful to be sharing our stories. And, you know, people may not read books as much now as they used to. They may listen to podcasts more. But I hope some people get some reassurance from my book. Mm-hmm. that my story of being a working mother, of going through all those struggles, many of which I told you about, ended up fine. Mm-hmm. And I have happy children who are doing fine. Um, one is a mother of two. The other one is married. 
the daughter that was on marijuana has gotten herself straightened up and finishing college. Mm-hmm. And so I want other people to think that they're going to be okay too. Mm-hmm. I, I love that you're sharing that. And there are times I wish I, I often think, and this might sound woo woo, but I often think like our higher self is leading us. Like we are being like, we are leading ourselves. We just have to slow down and listen. And there were many times that I said, I just don't know the answer, but I would stop and say, no, you do know the answer. You just might not like it. You do know what to do, like have faith and know that you know what to do. But I wish I could have like looked back and actually said like, you will be okay. You will be okay. Because it Mm. didn't feel like it many times during that time. Right. right? Right. And it's just knowing that like, you will be okay. You'll be okay. Yes. We all get through. And the human condition is something we all share. Loving our children, wanting what is best for them Mm -hmm. is something we all share. And we all have those feelings. And I, I just think working mothers need to give themselves a break. What they are doing is difficult and challenging Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and keeps them up at night and they're going to be okay. They're going to be okay. And I'm willing to go to bat for younger working mothers, hoping that my voice will help some of them reassess priorities, make better decisions recognize that they're going to be okay and recognize that mothers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I have no doubt that it will. This has been a great conversation. I will make sure that everything that you have is available in the show notes for people to connect with you, to follow, to learn more. And I encourage you, if you're listening, that this is a, it's a powerful episode as we're navigating, like still navigating new times. And as we continue to come out of this, we're still navigating more because, you know, some moms did carry a lot of load of the last two years. Mm-hmm. Now we're starting to come out of this. Doesn't mean you need to keep carrying it the same way, right? Like it's, it's that piece of asking for help and speaking. So it's a very timely episode, very important for so many people. And I thank you so much for sharing everything that you've shared. I would love to ask you one more question. It's going to be a last question is what lesson in life are you most grateful for? Sharing trials with friends has taught me that I'm never alone. And I should probably include my husband in that too. Sharing trials and worries with my husband and my friends always reminds me that I'm not alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So true, isn't it? Support, support, human support, human connection. According to Brene Brown, a massive fan, and she's like, it's the number one thing that humans want is connection. It's the number one thing we always desire is connection. And I think that's the connection piece is incredibly important. It also requires that we allow ourselves to be heard, right? We allow ourselves to be seen. We allow ourselves to receive the support. So there's a lot of pieces that we have to be an active party in the process of building that connection. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Not hide away. No, not shrink from it. No, but recognize that we're all in this together. Mm -hmm. We absolutely are. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, my pleasure. I really enjoyed talking with you. It's been wonderful. 
Thank you so much for tuning in to the Own Your Choices, Own Your Life podcast. If you love this episode, please submit a rating and review on iTunes and please share it with someone you think could benefit from hearing this message or this podcast. I love connecting and meeting you. So please screenshot the episode and tag me on social media or Instagram stories at Marsha Van W. And until next time, remember when you own your choices, you truly own your life.